if you're going to write a story, but if you're gonna write a story about the unknown, work really hard to make it a positive one. I understand, you know, the, the buzzword right now is toxic positivity and think our way to happiness all the time, but- Sunshine and when, rainbows. All the time, right? That's not realistic, but there is something to be said in the power of positive thinking that if my brain is gonna write a story about what the future looks like anyway, let me try to to choose what story it's going to write instead of just letting it go on autopilot and into the darkest, most negative places. Welcome to the Forging Metal Podcast. My name is Ron Duran Jr. and I will be your blacksmith as we explore the world of adversity and doing hard things. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. Let's get to work. The Forge is now open. Today's guest is Carrie Leaf. She is currently a practicing psychotherapist, life coach, and hypnotherapist. She holds her undergrad degree in psychology with a minor in sociology from the University of Northern Iowa. She completed her master's degree in marriage and family therapy, and she has now been practicing as a psychotherapist for over 10 years and working in the psychology field for 15. She enjoys working out, exploring her health and fitness journey, staying active, nature and being outdoors, traveling, and of course, trying new things. Today, we cover topics like trauma, anxiety, EMDR therapy, and perfectionism. Enjoy this conversation in the Forge. Carrie, thank you for joining us today. I'm excited to talk to you. With your background in healing, psychology, and psychotherapy, what led you down this path to where you are today? I'm always kind of fascinated by, you know, the backstory, the the why of how did you get here in, in your journey? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, by the way. Yeah, the backstory goes all the way back to middle school, I think. So, you know, somewhere around seventh, eighth grade where I knew that I was going to be in the psychology field some way, shape or form. My dad was a high school guidance counselor and a professor at a community college. So I was just kind of raised with that. And so obviously in in those middle school years, that's where the interest started forming. In the high school years, when friendships and relationships became so much more, you know, important and deep. And and I had seen my own patterns and what friendships and relationships mean to me, you know, just kind of furthered that interest into psychology and eventually the marriage and family field, because that was on relationships and systems. And I just didn't see anything more important in life than relationships, whether that's with people or also our relationship with ourselves. So it really started snowballing from there. And then over, you know, my training and my schooling, it's, it's, you know, kind of niched down and, and gone more into holistic healing and, and got more specific and in, in what I focused on. I appreciate that you say relationships, because one of the things that I teach leadership, and if you were to sum up leadership in one word, what would it be? And my answer is it's relationships. And so I appreciate that you say that. Why are relationships so important to you? Is that the fabric of life? How would you characterize that? Yeah, I mean, I I think there's so many things that we do or we experience in life, but that 
we only get one dimension of it until we share it with somebody else. And then it brings on a whole other level, meaning, value, and different perspectives. And we get to experience a lot more through sharing in our relationships with others. And particularly, you know, our deeper relationships, maybe dating relationships, marriages, intimate relationships, things like that, they're really holding up the mirror to ourselves. And that is how we learn and we grow if we choose to is in those deeper relationships because you just can't hide in them. You know, it Mm. takes a lot of effort to do that. And, you know, eventually all the stuff comes out. That's where we show all of us good and bad, you know, the light side, the dark side, the shadow side, and and all of our stuff come out in those intimate relationships. And, And we, that's how we grow. And we learn when we're willing to be vulnerable and share and, and then face that stuff. I sense, and I could be wrong here, but I sense you are passionate about what you do. What do you love most about it? Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's, I mean, I could go on forever on that. I really am passionate just working with people, learning and healing and growing and, you know, the reward of watching them learn and heal and grow. But I mean, I learn and heal and grow from every single client that I work with as well. So, you know, I might be working with healing them, but I'm getting so much in return as well from the reward of their success, but also what I learned from the connection and their experiences and all the different perspectives. And so it's just, it's just feels like, um, It obviously, you know, it's heavy at times, but the reward of that growth and connecting with individuals is just, I can't imagine doing anything else. It's it's very rewarding. Love that. Love that. I think we need more people like you out there. Let's, let's, let's turn this conversation a little bit. You're, you're also, and maybe you learn a lot from this as well. You're also a mom, right? How many, how many children do you have? Yes, I have two twin toddlers and I have two stepchildren, um, 15 and 12, or I'm sorry, 10. (laughs) All right. So we we got ages spread out here. I can only imagine the adventure, especially with the twin toddlers. What is that like? What's it like to be a mom with two, two young twins? tiring very tiring (laughs) you know they're boys and they got a lot of energy and they're in a phase right now that they won't stop wrestling each other and but it's also it's a lot and it's it's tiring but it's you know also so rewarding and I learn a lot about myself through them and they're incredible and they're funny and you know just being able to you know live through them and their experiences and and teach and growth, you know, with all of our experiences together. It's, it's pretty amazing, but it is nonstop with the, with the chaos in our house. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I'm thinking I'm not a parent, but, but I always say, you know, I I have a lot of friends obviously that are parents and I go, that's gotta be the hardest job in the world. What do you think is the hardest part about being a parent? I think that, I mean, it's all hard, right? But it's all the same parts that are hard are rewarding and, and, you know, worth every minute. But I do think that how we see ourselves and, and how we project ourselves onto them and what we do or don't choose and then questioning our decisions and our parenting, it really 
you, you question everything, you know, what am I doing as far as the parenting decision and why, and where does that come from? And it makes you face your own relationship issues with your own parents, you, mm. you know, cause you catch yourself doing the things that your parents did because it's familiar and, and it's what you know. And when those are the good things of, that you liked from your parents, fantastic. But when you catch yourself doing the things that you're like, man, never really liked when my mom and dad did that. It's hard, you Uh, know, and then you start examining who am I and why I do what I do and where did that come from? And and what do I want to choose instead of what, what am I allowing to just go on autopilot from what I was taught and what I experienced? And so it's that constant decision making process and trying to change habits and, you know, create the ones that you want to be in place. That's hard work. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny you bring this up. And I think it may have been Brene Brown that that made a joke about this, but when you go to psychotherapists, they often will say, tell me about your childhood. Right. And so there's, there's a good reason behind that. Is that, is that right? Absolutely. As cliche as it is, we can always bring it back there. (laughs) I mean, that's where, that's where the roots of a lot of our behaviors start, right? Yes, because, you know, that connection and those formative years in your brain isn't fully developed till 25. But, you know, when you're, you're that young and it's all spongy and, you know, you that's where you you get your habits and the neurons, you know, start firing and, and getting those grooves going. And, yep, it's crucial. All right. Let's uh, let's start. That's that's fun stuff. Let's start getting into some of your specialty areas. As I was doing research, a lot of the areas that you like to dabble in are areas that are interesting to me. And one of those is trauma. And, you know, I I think, and I, I can't say I'm really knowledgeable about trauma. So I'm going to be learning as I, as I ask these questions, but, but I think there's a wide range of trauma, right? And I've heard some people characterize it as T, you know, trauma with a small T and trauma with a big T. And I don't really know what that means, but tell me, tell me a little bit, you know, maybe we start with a working definition of what is trauma and then maybe we can expand on that. Yeah. And as far as any label or definition goes, you, you got to take it with a with a grain of salt a little bit. But, you know, most people, I think, see trauma as something that was maybe life threatening. And, and certainly that's traumatic, but it doesn't have to be life threatening to be considered trauma. It doesn't it, it doesn't have to have been a situation where you thought you were going to die. But that big T and that little T that you're talking about, I believe that was Shapiro with EMDR. And and she's talking about a big T trauma is something like an experience in, in war combat. You know, you're out there and you actually you are risking your life or emotional, physical, sexual abuse, those or car accident, a natural disaster, those big events. And then the little T traumas are the things that like when you break it down to the single incident might not seem that big or traumatic, but when they happen all of the time, you know, for day after day for years, they really add up and do some damage to our self-esteem or our worldview or, or whatever it may be. For example, um, a parent or a teacher telling you you're dumb all of the time, you know, you're stupid, you're dumb, you're not going to get anywhere. And you hear that message over and over, that's going to add up and do some damage to how you feel about yourself and in relationships, trusting maybe, you know, parents or authorities, you know, or, or a neglect or, or a parent not being there available emotionally, those are going to add up. And it, it's, 
it's going to, at the end of the day, be in the eye of the beholder, you know, because we can have, for example, two people could be in a car accident together and, you know, in that, that's, that's, they could have the same injuries. It could, you know, same results, but one might not really phase them mentally, emotionally. They might be able to like bounce right back from that and, and move on and, and let it go. And another might be really stuck there mentally, emotionally, and have a lot of fears and anxiety and struggle to let go. So it's going to be also in the way that you view it, the lens that you're looking through. It's almost like you knew my next question because this sounds like, and then my question was to you is, and this sounds like PTSD versus PTG, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder or post-traumatic growth. You know, two people, same traumatic event. One's going to come out maybe on the positive side of it with post-traumatic growth. And somebody might be, you know, scarred for maybe for life. Uh, And so do you have a sense of, why does that happen? Is that just in our genes? Is that, is that part of our upbringing? Is it, is it all of the above? What, what's your sense on that? I tend to think that's all of the above, you know, the nature versus nurture, it's a little bit of everything. And that's hard to pull apart until you really dig into somebody's stuff, you know, and, and you look at their genetic history and, and are there mental health diagnosis or, you know, things, medical um, diagnosis going on there. And then you dig into family dynamics and, and how did their family operate and belief systems and things like that. But it, it, it's always going to be a combination of the two. On this podcast is, you know, we talk about topics like resilience. And this is a little bit of in that category of resilience. Is there, do you have a sense of, can we, can we develop that? Can we get, can we become more resilient in the face of trauma and maybe adversity? I think that that is going to come down to things like self-care, coping skills, you know, and, and the work that we put in, right? Like, so, so naturally some people with their worldview or their genetics or what they're prone to or not prone to might just naturally be more resilient, but those that then put in the work to dig in and learn about themselves. And like you said, grow from hard experiences and they work really hard to know who am I and why, and how can I become better and stronger and healthier and happier? We learn what things are good for our body, what good things are our mind, what good are, what good things are for our spirituality. And when we put that work in, we naturally get better at coping with life. And, and maybe you just answered my question again, because one of the things you brought up earlier was this, this idea of self-esteem, which is it's fascinating to me as I'm writing my own book. I'm kind of digging into, you know, this idea of self-esteem and confidence and self-efficacy and those sort of things. But I'm seeing self-esteem as being a very big, kind of a big lover. And if you have low self-esteem, that can manifest itself in a lot of, in a lot of areas. So, and maybe you just answered it. How do we, let's say, you know, I'm coming to you and, I, and, I, and maybe you assess that I'm a little bit low on self-esteem. How do I, how do I improve that? How do I strengthen that? Yeah. So my approach is going to be, there are going to be some basics that are the same for everybody that I see, no matter what we're working on. And so I take a holistic abro- approach, integrated, looking at the mind, body, spirit, looking at all of those areas, 
So I want to see that everybody has, you know, we want to work on getting them a strong foundation. So for example, starting on how they're treating their body. Are you eating well? Are you exercising? Are you getting enough sleep? Things like that. And then, you know, then delving into the mind and and the spirit and just seeing if we can get a baseline. But then if you're telling me, that because that that's going to give us a better chance of getting more progress instead of like working jumping straight into the self esteem issue but we're not we're not even don't even have you to a place of like where you can make good decisions because you're running off of 3 hours of sleep every night right mm. so if we build that foundation first then i i can tend to see better progress when we dig into the actual issue that they come for so then if it's self esteem i can almost guarantee you of course i do an assessment i want to know all the the background the family stuff the childhood the relationship patterns all of those things so i can watch where i can connect the dots and whatnot and ask a lot of questions but um most likely with self esteem then I'm going to probably go towards something like EMDR therapy, where that is going to work on identifying what's the mindset, where's the mindset, what's the belief system behind that. So if you have low self-esteem, I promise you there's some negative core beliefs that you're telling yourself. It could be one, it could be 10, but something along the lines of I'm stupid, I'm not good enough, I can't succeed, I'm not lovable, whatever it may be we will be able to, you know, trace it back to that. And when we can get the deepest core belief and work on identifying that and clearing that out, then we can see shifts in behavior as well. Mm. I appreciate that you look at this from a holistic standpoint, you know, with your background, you, I think a lot of people just assume, well, you're going to, you're going to work on the, you know, the mind, the, the mental side of it. And that's where your job ends. And, and why is it so important that we connect all of that, you know, that holistic person? Could you, could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. And, and unfortunately, you know, in our society, most of these things are separated. You know, you go to a therapist or a psychologist or a psychiatrist for mental health and you go to an MD for the physical health and you go to a church or a a priest or a pastor for the spiritual, but they're, they're all interconnected deeply in so many different ways. I have, you know, that, that, brain gut connection, the mind body connection, we can, we can honestly be barking up the wrong tree a lot of the time. So there could be something off physically, like let's say with your gut health, um, and that's showing up as anxiety or depression. And we're trying to treat this anxiety when really we need you to be eating a healthier diet or removing food sensitivities or something like that, that could clear it up a lot faster And not that, you know, working on mental health wouldn't be an added bonus, but we, we don't want to just have that narrow view and, and not look at all the other angles, because when you get each area functioning its best, you're, you know, you got a better chance of being your optimal performance all around. You know, I, I, there's so many examples that I could give you where there were physical issues that looked like mental health issues. And, you know, we can waste a lot of time when we don't look full circle. Mm, I, I often call it the system. I say, I usually say the mind, mind, body, you know, they, they talk to each other and, and trying to, 
not look at them as, as, you know, kind of a coupled system is I, I think not helping us. So I think you're on that same page, you know, yeah. as we, as we talk, we're, you know, talking about trauma, we are going through, we're still going through what, you know, we're going through a global pandemic, a once in a century global pandemic. You know, I always like to call myself an armchair psychologist. I don't have any degree, but I, I, I read a lot and I, and I like to think I know something, but when this started, I said, Oh my gosh, this, this is going to be like a, the, the, the biggest lab experiment that, that any psychologist could ever hope for, or, or, you know, and so as we, I mean, we're seeing a lot of what I would say, poor behavior, right. You know, you hear about the, and again, this could be dramatized by the media. I, I get that, but people having shouting matches at Costco or, you know, getting thrown off airplanes, they have to duct tape people down because they're, they're, you know, acting out, or maybe it's road rage or even all the way to the level of killings, you know? And so as you're looking at this with your background, you do have a degree in psychology. What, what's causing this? What, what is going on when we see this kind of stuff and what might be the triggers to this outside of the obvious fear? Yeah, Fear, fear and adjustment, right? You know, just, all the all the situations you just, just described, we're also hearing all the people that are really digging in and reevaluating and starting businesses and you know changing careers entirely. And so there is the other side of it, just like you talked about the PTSD or the PTG. There are both sides. Yes, the media is going to share the negative a lot more. And you know, all the clients that I'm working with, I have seen it go a whole bunch of different ways with them as well. Some are just thriving with the changes and the adjustments through the pandemic. And some are really, really struggling. And a lot of that's coming down to how it affected their job or their career, how it might be affecting their spouse, their husband, their kids, and all the just all the changes and the adjustments, working from home, not working from home, having kids while you work, you know, or not, or, you know, and do I like working from home? Do I not? Do I have a job? Do I not? You know, all it's just all across the board, but we're all in uncertain, you know, phases and, and what, what is this doing to me? What is this doing to the world is changing my relationships with people. There's so much change and adjustment. And we really oftentimes struggle with that unknown and that uncertainty, and that's going to be fear-based. And so we're, we're oftentimes telling ourselves maybe the worst case scenario when there's the unknown, our brain fills in the gap. And our brain is going to fill in the gap from our past experiences and going off whether we have good coping skills or not. What, what's your advice? So if we're in, if we're in this fear mode, you know, fight or flight, threat mode, sympathetic nervous system activation, maybe we have a listener that goes, yeah, that's, that's me, Carrie. How do I, you know, is there any tips on how I can maybe get out of that mode? You know, I think that that's probably going to be really individual as to what issue or what symptom is arriving for each person. But I really like to encourage people to a couple of things. If you're going to write a story, but if you're going to write a story about the unknown, work really hard to make it a positive one. I understand, you know, the, the buzzword right now is toxic positivity and think our way to happiness all the time, but sunshine and when, rainbows all the time, right? That's not realistic, but there is something to be said in the power of positive thinking that if my brain is going to write a story about what the future looks like anyway, 
let me try to to choose what story it's going to write instead of just letting it go on autopilot and into the darkest, most negative places. So paying attention to your thoughts and the stories that you're writing, that would be a little bit based off of narrative therapy, you know, choosing to write the story of our life and what that looks like or rewrite it, whatever it may be. The other thing that I like people to focus on is getting in tune with that mind-body connection in the sense of, you know, what, what am I feeling in my body and where and why? You know, a lot of times we just go off of emotion and we don't sit in that feeling. The, the physical part often arises first. You know, for example, I know with me, I will feel tension in my jaw before I recognize that I'm anxious about something. That's Ooh. where that's where my anxiety shows up is my jaw gets really tense. My stress and my overwhelm shows up in my shoulders. It's tense and tight in my shoulders. You know, fear is going to show up in my stomach. I'm going to feel sick to my stomach, you know, but knowing our body and where we feel these physical symptoms when we're thinking about a particular issue and then connecting to that physical feeling and sitting in it. And then we can slowly but surely realize that that feeling will fade and dissipate and we can live through it and we can push through it. And, and it's not as terrifying as we think it might be. But when, when we get scared or impulsive or going reacting off of our emotions and making decisions off of our emotions, it's because we don't like the feeling. We don't Mm. like the emotion. We don't like the thought. And so we jump out of it quickly. We jump out of it by instant gratification, like that, that drink of alcohol, that pill, that food, you know, sweets, whatever it may be. It could be relationships, sex, you know, we jump out of the feel, maybe it's TV, but we, we don't like that feeling. So we, we turn to something else for instant gratification. But if we would challenge ourselves to sit in that emotional feeling and tie it to the physical feeling, we can feel more in control and say, okay, I've I've got this. It's not as bad as the story in my head. So the thoughts and the physical feelings, that's where I would really encourage people to start. And it's not easy. It's, it's a practice, you know, it's, it's something Mm. to, to practice regularly. It sounds like great advice. And this podcast is kind of based on this idea of doing hard things. And that's a hard thing. That's a hard thing to sit with that discomfort and not reach for, like you said, you know, for me, it's going to be that glass of scotch or for some people it might be that jelly donut. So just, you know, maybe breathe into that discomfort. And I hear self-awareness, you know, practice some self-awareness, tune into your body your body is sending signals and, and correct me if I'm, if I'm off base with any of this, but I think this is all good advice uh, to kind of, I don't know, navigate this. Let's, uh, let's shift a little bit to another topic that it's near and dear to me. I always like to say I'm a recovering perfectionist. I spent much of my lifetime, not only being a perfectionist, but also, you know, I got labeled as, as being a control freak and, and, you know, those kind of things which I think kind of goes hand in hand with being a perfectionist. You want to, you want to control everything in your environment, even when you don't realize you're not controlling anything. So you talk about this. What, so let's talk about what is perfectionism and is it, is it harmful? Is it helpful? What does that, what does that look like to you from your, your expertise? 
I think it's both. And I think it depends on what matters to you or how you're measuring maybe success or happiness. But I would personally, professionally lean more towards harmful. But, you know, there, there are benefits, drive, motivation, you know, energy, you know, things that bring us success in, in um however you define success, I suppose, Mm. right? But maybe career or achievements, you know, in those areas. So definitely pros and cons. But the, the negative is what we do to ourselves, the pressure we put on ourselves, trying to achieve that and for who. So, you know, I would be curious if you, you know, if you're recovering, did you identify your negative belief behind that and where the driving force was? Because that's a hard thing to, even if you identify it, I, you know, insight alone does not change our habits and our behaviors. So, you know, even if you identify, oh, this is why I'm such a perfectionist, to be able to clear that out and let go and choose a different belief system and heal takes a a lot of work to then change the behavior around it too. But there's so, there's often so much, if we're talking perfectionism, we're often talking about, like I said, a negative core belief, but then there might be shame, guilt, you know, feelings of inadequacy, whatever. We're generally trying to prove something to somebody else. So it's, often, in my opinion, rooted in something, you know, not very healthy. Do you feel like it's rooted in uh, this idea of that's my self-worth? The only way that I can be loved and accepted is if I'm perfect. Do you you sense that there's a connection there? Yes, absolutely. I, you know, and, and oftentimes, again, like I said, that's where we can probably bring it back to a caregiver, a parent, someone in our family, our childhood, our upbringing. But, you know, our society can absolutely, you know, take a toll on that as well. Like, you know, if I don't know myself very well and my identity and my values and I haven't put much work into figuring out who am I and what's important to me, then I'm going to be on default to what I learned from my family and Mm. what I learned from, you know, society and my peers and, you know, what social media does a number on us as well. I mean, you know, since, since social media has been around, anxiety has shot up because we're comparing and we're looking at, you know, these percentages of, you know, the top, most amazing people in whatever field or, you know, all this, these successes and why can't we be like that? And so there's comparison there. Absolutely. Yeah. And to answer your question, I I did, (laughs) I did spend some time and, and I think the, the only way you, you break free from some of these, what I think is poor behavior. I think perfectionism is, is not a good thing. So I don't want any of my students to hear you say it can be helpful. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm, sure. I'm always spinning it as this is not good. And it goes back to my childhood. And my dad used to always actually, he used to say, I'm a perfectionist. He, you know, he'd be out working in the garage or something and he would, he would kind of wear that as a badge of honor. And so I, yeah. obviously I, I looked at that as, okay, that's the way I should be. And then also throwing in that he was also very demanding and it was hard to please him. So you put those two things together and you can kind of see how I ended up being that way. And I'll be honest, you talk about anxiety. One of the things I don't like about perfectionism is, is I say it's such a unrealistic target 
that you're kind of setting yourself up for a lifetime of failure. I mean, quite honestly, if you're, if you're, if the only time you find success is when you're perfect, that's a whole lot of failure in my opinion. And, and so that drove a lot of anxiety with me. And so I, I guess, you know, this is another one, you know, anxiety, is this helpful? And, and careful not to say good or bad. I don't like those those value judgments. So is it helpful yeah. or harmful? Is there anything helpful about anxiety? Would we be yeah. better off if we just eliminated anxiety? What what good is it? No, no. We everybody has anxiety on some level, and anxiety is good when it's okay. So think back to stone age and there is a tiger creeping up on you we want some anxiety to Mm. kick in and say "Woo, run that's not good where if i'm like totally like laid back anxiety free i'm just gonna be like oh tiger you know we want something to kick us into gear or you know more modern day is you know if I get a little bit of anxiety about that test coming up that I got to take, you know, college exam, that anxiety is what pushes me to study and not slack off. But, you know, there is a point where we take it too far. So some anxiety is helpful to kick in, you know, adrenaline or whatever we need to get going. But too much can be paralyzing and can really, you know, cause a lot of stress to our our mind and body. I mean, I was one of those. I was one where I really worked myself up and worried about, you know, getting passing the test and getting the good grades. And that is a lot of time wasted. And I probably did a lot of damage to my body with that kind of stress. And it wasn't enjoyable. (laughs) And I'm sure I wasn't enjoyable to be around. Like, you know, that wasn't fun. So a little bit of anxiety is, is necessary, but a lot of people these days have way beyond a little bit of anxiety. And and what's what's a good way to manage that? Is it just a matter of again? I think we got to start with self awareness. But is it a matter of just paying attention that okay, I'm I'm maybe worrying about things that I can't control, or I mean, what's your advice on maybe just a quick? I don't know if there's a quick tip on how can I manage my anxiety better. Yeah, because there's a lot of different ways. You'll hear you'll hear people say. Something like depression is rooted in the past and anxiety is rooted in the future. Mm-hmm. So staying in the present moment with mindfulness, which again is a practice and a skill to build. So it, again, it's that it's 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 gaining self awareness and also the ability to control your thought process and then therefore regulate the emotions. So really, you gotta know yourself. You have to learn yourself. What do I get anxious about generally? You know, is it is it generally um, around success? Is it school? Is it work? Is it relationships? What is it? And then where might that have developed and why? You know, we can trace that back in, into your younger years and, and where that started. And then you kind of sift through, yeah, how much of it is nature? I just kind of came out this way, you know, genetically, I'm more prone to it. And then how much of it has been nurture life experiences. And we can work on challenging those belief systems of where the anxiety generally hovers around. But you also nailed it with the really learning and practicing to differentiate what's within my control and what's not. And how do I know the difference and how do I let go 
of what's not? And then how do I take action with what is, you know, generally taking some kind of action with what's in our control can start helping us move through it. But oftentimes we're so paralyzed and overwhelmed. We just spin in the hamster wheel on all the things that we can't control. And then we're stuck there. And when, if we would just figure out if if you've ever heard the serenity prayer, you know, that first phrase is a, a perfect example of what to tell yourself over and over again of like, having the wisdom to know the difference of what I can and can't control and, and the strength and the courage to, to face it. And, you know, that's pretty spot on with anxiety. You mentioned something earlier, EMDR therapy. I don't really know anything about this, but I'm intrigued by it because my former co-host Tara was, was really a big fan of it. What is EDMR therapy? And maybe you can, you can enlighten me about this. Yeah, you said it right the first time with the EMDR, but almost oh, everybody, everyone says EDMR. It, almost always. Uh, uh, <laughs> it must funny. just flow. It just must flow better. I'm not sure, but yeah, EMDR is eye movement desensitization reprocessing. It's changed my life. It's changed my practice. It kind of feels like magic if you you know experience it as a client or or provider. But you know what? What was the original question there? <laughs> what is it? What are we trying to do here? And, and what's the basis of this? Yes. Yeah, so. There's, there's so much I could go off into with that. So I'll try to sum it up. And the idea is that we are going, so you, you take an issue, a problem you're working on. So let's, let's say anxiety and our step one is going to be to identify what's the negative belief behind that anxiety. A lot of times with anxiety, it is something like I'm not in control, something like that, but it it could be a handful of different things. So you identify the negative belief. And then what we're trying to do is where we're going to identify where that originated, you know, in the timeline of your life, your life experiences, and we'll want to reprocess that to a positive belief. I am now in control and, you know, take that, I'm in control of myself, right? Because there's so many things we're not in control of. But so for, if that's the example, we're going to rewire, reprocess the belief system from I'm not in control to I am now in control And we're going to do that by accessing, you know, memories and experiences, tapping into the subconscious brain, the subconscious train of thought, because that's what's driving us. You know, that, you know, our conscious thought is not what we make. That's not where our actions are driven day to day. We're operating mostly off the subconscious. And so we want to tap into that because the belief there is that, just like if I were to cut my finger, you know, trying to slice onions or something, I probably could just rinse it out and put a bandaid on it if even and, you know, leave it alone and it's going to heal, right? The body will heal itself. So the idea then is that the brain will also heal itself if we allow it, the body and the brain can heal themselves. We just don't always allow the brain to heal itself because we suppress those memories and experiences or they're disintegrated because they were painful when we went through them. So we like 
we, we disassociated or we jumped out of it or, you know, we didn't process them in a healthy way. They didn't get fully processed. And so we're tapping back into that subconscious and that experience and reprocessing, writing a new story, you know, processing it in the adult healthy brain instead of maybe the child and, and all the, all the things that we aren't aware that how the brain isn't fully developed then. And then we internalize it and make it about ourselves, So we're giving the brain that opportunity to heal because like, just like the finger can heal itself. If I kept pouring salt in the wound or, you know, getting it dirty, it's going to get infected. It's not going to heal. Right. So we're giving it that opportunity. The eye movement part is, you know, she was walking down a trail. Hopefully I get this right. If I recall uh, correctly, walking down a trail, thinking about things, processing in her own way. And her eyes were moving back and forth from side to side of the trail. And she kind of, you know, eventually realizes like, whoa, you know, during this, you know, movement, this bilateral stimulation in the eyes and I'm walking and all these things, I was able to tap into a deeper level of thought than if I were just sitting here talking about it. And so then that's where the theory, you know, she started exploring and, and putting her research and her work into that. And so it's, it's really fascinating. It's, it's, we're trying to shut down that conscious thought, that mental chatter that we listen to all the time and tap into the subconscious thought that's actually driving us. Hmm. It sounds fascinating. I, I'm, I think I'm gonna have to go out and do my own research on this. So I can, I can, yeah. you know, as a, I'm a trail runner, so I'm thinking, or my eyes, you know, darting back and forth as I'm trail running. And, and it also sounds like there's, there might be some similarities to flow state. And I don't know if you've, if you've heard that or not, but anyway, that, that's probably a whole nother podcast. Let's uh, you, you just, I think you just published a book, right? Therapize yeah. yourself, which I love this word, therapize yourself, <laughs> choose to heal and find your truth. That's your book. What, uh, I, I love that title. And what were you trying to accomplish when you wrote this book? Yeah, so the book was really just a spilling out of those same things, like I was telling you earlier, that the same things that I keep telling all of my clients. So the book is all the things that I just repeat over and over to anyone and everyone, no matter what they're coming for. So in my practice and my approach, they have just become the basics. So that this book is just the basics of starting to get yourself grounded and healthy and, you know, those first steps to take, you know, the assessment where areas in your life to assess and evaluate, you know, mind, body, spirit, looking at those, looking at the different environments in our life, relationships, financial, you know, those kind of things and evaluating those areas and then boosting those up to get the strong foundation. And then it jumps into the, the negative belief systems, identifying that. And then it's really an encouragement to get in and delve deeper with a professional because, you know, the therapize, it, it isn't a real word, but it always cracked me up because, you know, I would hear it all the time through grad school. And, and when I st- first started practicing and people wanted to know what I'm doing and, and then it was, oh, are you, are you going to therapize me? You know, and I'm like, well, that's not a word, but <laughs> and ethically I can't, but, you know, so, um, the word stuck because it kind kind of cracked me up, but it's also twofold in the sense that like 
I want you to get in and therapize yourself and know that you can do the work and on, you know, on your own, you're your own best self healer. In fact, you're the only person that can heal yourself. Nobody can get in your brain. Nobody can do the work for you. You have to do it. But I also encourage people to therapize themselves in the sense of get in therapy, because although yes, you're the only one that can heal yourself, getting that guidance and that support and that sounding board and someone to ask the right questions and to push and to hold your hand and that accountability, you can go so much further, so much faster. So, you know, I want to empower people, you know, to normalize therapizing themselves and, and, and also to normalize asking for help. You know, I think a lot of people think, oh, I've got to have this big diagnosis or big trauma in my life or, you know, have real issues or problems to go in therapy. And it's, it's you know, my clients that I see are the most amazing, strongest, you know, I've got really successful, you know, entrepreneurs and creatives and intelligent, you know, high functioning, incredible people walking in my office. And it doesn't mean that they have these big, serious issues, they're just working on themselves and they're healing and they're trying to be better and happier. What a great message. You know, the, the idea of, this is certainly near and dear to my heart that we need to remove the stigma around therapy. And, and it's just, you know, you go to the gym to exercise your muscles or, or your heart and lungs, why not, you know, do the same thing for your mind? So not only therapy, but also mental health, you know, there's such a stigma around that. Oh my gosh, there must be something wrong with you. And, and that's ridiculous. In my humble opinion, that's ridiculous. And so I, I like that there's people like you out there that are, that are changing that conversation. It sounds like a great book. I know you say, well, you don't have to be going through, you know, trauma to, to benefit from this, which I, I would agree, but man, right now, maybe this would be a great book for you to pick up to, to start maybe practicing things. And, and I like to say I'm a coach and I also will tell my clients, there's a lot of this you can do on your own. So I, I say the same thing, coach yourself, learn some tools on, on how you can do that. Now there might be a time when you want to hire somebody, but, but I do think there's a lot that we can do on our own if we just get some tools. And so it right. sounds like this book might give you some tools to, to help you down that path. Well, yes, Carrie, absolutely. You know, it's been fun. And I, I, it seems like every podcast I have, I'm like, I want to do this for, you know, two hours. But we are uh, almost out of time here. And let's go to our signature last question. And this is a tough one. This is a vulnerable one. What is your greatest failure and what did you learn from it? Yeah, that is a big question. You know, one of the things that I've learned is that I fail every day, right? Like, I fail every day in I've really worked to start learning from those failures and see failure not as a bad thing. But for a lot of my life, and I talk a little bit about it in the book, um, jumping in and out, but I think I failed to be vulnerable and put myself out there and get to know myself earlier on. Instead, you know, I would really... I would really have a lot of those, you know, probably trying some to look perfect, right? Like, oh, I, I'm, I'm the helper. I'm the healer. I, I've got it all together. And, and that's what I must look like in order to help and heal. And that's, that's just not true, right? Like, 
that perfectionism and, and having it all together 24 seven is impossible. And we don't learn without failing. And so fail on the regular at being vulnerable. It's, it's something that is pretty difficult and it's a journey for me and I'm working on it, but I know that it's held me back in having healthier, happier relationships. Cause if I'm not vulnerable, I'm, I'm not learning about myself and then I'm not letting those people in either. So I'm working on being more vulnerable more often. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then, join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media.